Today's Old Testament reading comes from Isaiah 53, verses 3 to 8. And the word says, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men had th hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's New Testament reading comes from Luke verse 1 through 20, and it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around, around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. <coughs> and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from, there, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered and what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Man, how's everybody doing this morning? 
exciting to be together, right? Um, I think uh, we, we might be on to something here for church planters. You know, when they're down, they just get together with another church plant. <laughs> there's a better, you know, there's a better feeling when everybody's gathered together. So there's a couple of things I want to talk to you about, but let me just say this. Um, you know, I, I'm, if you grew up in a Latin church like I did, you know, everything's the devil's fault. You know, <laughs> you get to a Latin church, you're like, Jesus, you know, rebuke Satan, and everything's a dull spot, and I'm always, you know, and I'm always laughing at that, because, you know, uh, there's just so much more behind that, um, with God's sovereignty, obviously, everything happens with, with God knowing it, and, uh, but, but this week has been a trying week, and, and John said to me this morning, I texted him, it was like 5.30 in the morning, I said, hey, John, by the way, I'm in the ER, right, wake up, wake up 5.30 in the morning. And, and I couldn't talk. My tongue was so swollen, you know. And I'm surprised that I even sang. <laughs> I was trying to sing, but and then, um, and then Jay had a cold, and we're leading the songs. And uh, and he said earlier in the week I got a cold, and I was like, ah, I don't. <laughs> so I'm good. I'll sing. It's okay. Um, but it, it's been an interesting week. Um, some of the other pastors I saw on Facebook, Eric Romero at Calvary, he had, he's got to preach four services today. He came out with a cold last night. Um, so it's just you know. Uh, God's servants, are, we, we are here, but I'm glad that we made it. I told the doctors at the ER, I said, listen, man, you got about three hours to fix me. I got to be sitting at my piano at 9.30 going over these songs with a, with a combined service. He was like, okay, <laughs> sure, we'll see what we can do. And, um, and so it was interesting. I got dressed there and everything, and every, the whole ER was in on it. They're like, tell your congregation we said hi. <laughs> they send hellos from ER at Memorial Web. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're here, and uh, I told them if I faint, just throw cold water on me, I'll be fine. <laughs> and then John can proceed with the message. I, I want to talk to you guys about Isaiah chapter 53. And this is the thing. Every year as we celebrate Christmas, uh, there's so much talk about when was Jesus born, when was he not, that we celebrated that day. If you're Latino, today is Christmas, right? It's not Christmas Eve, it's Christmas. <laughs> and, uh, and so there's just so many different aspects of Christmas. But, but here's the thing that, that I want to tell you about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just come onto the scene and loop the way we just read. He, he is central to the gospel. Okay? He, he was there in the beginning. All things were for him and through him. And so as I was reading Isaiah 53, I started thinking about some things and and, and, and I'm, I'm a, I get creative with music, so my mind works a little weird, so I always got weird analogies. But imagine this for a moment. Take something that is, is massive for you. For me, it's like the Mona Lisa, right? I think about the Mona Lisa, and I'm like, what's the big deal with this picture anyway? It's a, it's a lady, she's smiling. I mean, I could probably do that. My kids could probably do that. Maybe not as good as Leonardo da Vinci, but... You know, think, take something big, the Grand Canyon, the, the Statue of Liberty, and think just for a moment that you're standing there. For me, it's the Mona Lisa, and I'm standing there, and I'm wondering, what's so big about this, right? And Leonardo da Vinci comes up behind me, and he's like, hey, you like that picture? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice, but I'm just trying to figure out w what's it all about. And here's the guy who painted this thing, and I'm talking to him, and I don't even know that it's him, right? And, and, I, and I start to think about that. Here, I did some just quick research on the Mona Lisa. Listen to this. It's the best known, the most visited, the most written about, the most sung about, the most parodied work. The Mona Lisa is also one of the most valuable paintings in the world. It actually holds the Guinness World Record 
for the highest known insurance valuation in history at 100 million in 1962, which is nearly now worth 800 million wow. in 2017. And then you start to do some research and it turns out that Leonardo da Vinci wasn't even, he was kind of sitting on it, he wasn't gonna finish it. Some people were skeptical of whether or not he finished it. But here you have this great work, right, that's become this huge thing. And, and, and if it was someone like me, although I appreciate art, I think I would miss it. You know, because if I just walked by the Mona Lisa and I didn't know what it was, I'd be like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Somebody did that, that's great, you know. Uh, but I really wouldn't stand in front of it they got it behind a bulletproof glass, and, and it's and it's a big thing. As a matter of fact, I remember I went to a, you guys know Israel Hutton? Mm-hmm. I went yeah. to an Israel, it's actually a Matthew West concert. Israel Hutton opened up, and uh, he says, hey, my name is Israel Hutton. It was in West Palm Beach, and nobody said anything. And then he goes like this, he goes, does anybody know the song, I Am a Friend of God, and the whole crowd goes, ah, <laughs> I love that song. We sing that song on Sunday morning. He goes, well, I wrote that song. And then we're like, no way! Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, duh! And, and the reason for this illustration for me comes to mind is because this is Jesus. The God with us, in the flesh, standing in front of his own creation. And yet, even at times, we do not recognize him. We miss him. And that's been the whole thing with history. <coughs> People have missed Jesus over and over and over again. And this is what Isaiah 53 is about, some of the verses um, that my, my wife just read. And, and here's the thing, we must not miss the completion of Christ's existence, even through his birth, or especially through his birth. Imagine uh, being in something that you created. John 1.10 says that he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Can you imagine Jesus being in the world, the, made was, the world was made through him, and then people are talking to him, and they're talking to the creator of everything. And they're just talking to him. They don't even know uh, that he's there because what they're thinking is coming or is going to come is something totally different. So I ask you today, just in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it, those words are written there. Who has believed what he has heard? Who has believed what has been said? I ask you that question this morning as we move forward. Ask yourself that question. Have you believed? And I'm not just talking about, yeah, I believe. I'm talking about belief. Truth, deep, anchor in the soul. Jesus was foretold. The Spirit of Christ led the prophet to write about his life almost 700 years before. And it was the same Spirit that led the Philip to evangelize the Ethiopian eunuch who read the same words. If you've been coming to Bible study, you'll appreciate this. Let me read out of you. Uh, let me read to you out of Acts 8. Verse 26. Here's what it says. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandak, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting on his chair reading the book of Isaiah. And what do you know? What chapter do you think he was reading? Right? And then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah, and I imagine that he ran up because he said, this guy's going to get confused. He's reading about something in the Old Testament that was written as if it had already happened. Right? 700 years before Jesus Christ existed, Isaiah writes and he pens what is called this song in Isaiah 53, and it's about something 
that hasn't even happened yet, and now this eunuch is reading it after the fact, and he's confused. So Philip's asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. <laughs> but he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is a passage of scripture that eunuch was reading, Isaiah 53, 7-8. says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before a cheer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. <coughs> Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So the eunuch said to Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? So then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus Christ. And so after reading Acts and the foretelling of Jesus, the question then becomes, how do I not miss the good news? How do we not miss the good news in 2017? And a lot of times when we come to church, we say, well, pastor, that's a silly question because I'm already baptized. I'm already a Christian. I'm not missing it, right? But day in and day out, sometimes we just miss even the very celebration of his life and his birth. And we wait all year long, and we get so busy <laughs> during this time. I mean, I would imagine that there would be even more seats if everyone was here, but everybody's busy because we're busy doing the, the <coughs> traditional stuff and the Christmas shopping. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but how do we not miss Jesus the rest of the year? How do we not miss the centrality of the gospel in our lives? How do I not miss the one who stood amongst and yet was not recognized? Let me leave you with four thoughts today, and today's interesting because John and I are co-preaching. I don't think I've ever actually done that on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's interesting, right? So I said, I'll say we'll do 10 and 10, and then I went to 20, 20, and so let's just, let's just both preach an hour. Wow. Well then, everybody's face changed. Wow. I was hoping that you guys would be like, yeah. Somebody just texted someone and said, I'm missing lunch. Here, here's the four dots I want to leave you with, and it's not going to be an hour. It's going to be, we're going to do it in time. Let me leave you with four thoughts on this day. And as I do, remember that the journey of salvation through faith in Christ is one of holiness. Something that we don't, we're not disciplined to think about maybe 2017. We think of holiness and we think, uh, I can't wear this, I can't do that. I can't say this, I can't go here. But this is so much more than that. This is a discipline of a relationship with our Savior. So I want to encourage you to be like Christ in that humility so that we can walk humbly by our God. Here's the first thing I want to tell you. The king became flesh. And yet, in Isaiah 53, it says he was despised. He was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was a man with grief. And is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Right? And to me, I don't know about you, but that's a big deal for me. I'll tell you why, because um, a lot of times you hear people saying, oh, you listen, you're, you're, uh, I actually went to, I worked for a long-term care medicated, went to go see a patient, and we were talking, and the lady was Christian, maybe a little bit more charismatic than, than you could always tell, the charismatic, right? And then she said, listen, I, I just want to tell you that I want you to have a blessed Christmas and, and God's abundant blessings over you and financial breakthrough through the year 2018. I said, listen, don't even worry about that. We don't even need money. And she goes, what? 
course you need money. You're God's children. You're, you're supposed to be blessed. And, and we got into this funny little conversation. And, and here's the thing. Yes, we are a child of the king, right? Um, but it encourages me to know that even though the king put on flesh, he was still despised. Because there's a lot of times in my life where I feel despised. There's a lot of times in my life where I feel sorrow. A lot of times in my life where I feel grief. And, and in that grief and in that sorrow and in that suffering, guess what? I feel like I'm walking humbly by a God that felt the same things that I do. And it's not just about me, right? There's so many people in this world. And the question gets asked, why does God allow? Why does God allow? And I tell people all the time, it's not like he doesn't know about that. He was also despised. Let me tell you the second thing. Be like Jesus. And know that one day, listen to this, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Amen. Jesus suffered. And yet verse 7 says what? He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why is that encouraging for me and it should be for you? Because I just read Ravi Zacharias, he posted something there on Instagram yesterday with a blog post. He said, you know, this year has been probably one of the most politically trying years that he's ever seen in his life. And as that lateral movement between the right and the left continues to be a conflict, we know for sure that that horizontal move between God and man continues to be so we serve a God that one day, no matter what happens here on this earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that's the promise that we hold true to. Here's the third thing. Be like Jesus, that when you suffer, you would be silent. For he has suffered for us, and by his stripes we are healed. He is the counselor of our pain. The reason why I say that is because in our lives, we we take on this, um, especially for us, Western culture, Americans, we are we are somebody. We are important, right? I do a lot of traveling. I was born in, in South America, and it just it's interesting how in our culture we're just taught that we have a voice. We're taught that we ought to be heard. And and listen, don't get me wrong, the civil rights movement and any social justice movement is by far top on the list of things to do as a, as a minister of Christ. But I wonder if there's just times that we ought to be like Jesus and not say anything. I wonder if there's times that we ought to be like Jesus and rather than say something and lash back out, we say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I wonder if when we say something, we just ought to pray first and, and, and pray for the person that's in front of us or about our situation, right? Jesus lived, yet God willed his death is the fourth thing that I want to tell you about. Verse 10 in Isaiah says that, yes, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Listen, let me tell you something. It might feel a lot of times in our life and in the times that we're living 2017 
um, that we are not prospering as a Christian nation or as a movement of, of the evangelical type, right? But I want to tell you that the war has been won. And every battle that is fought between here and there on that day is only glorious and for his praise so that we may be counted worthy and good servants before him. Be like Jesus, always trusting the Father that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Always remember uh, the words of Paul. I am here and I have enough. And when I don't have enough, there is no chance, for yet I have it all. Right? So what he says there in Philippians 4, before uh, that very famous verse, for Christ, for I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about having enough in abundance and having enough in loss. So I encourage you, and I read to you again Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom the Lord has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Amen. Amen. That wasn't an hour. Something happens when I pick up a microphone, I just I kind of get thrown off. So is this all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I know we said we were going to do it, but. You're uh, joking that Juan was just going to hold it for me. Yeah. I'm so glad to be here with you all for a couple reasons. One, I love your pastor. I love Pastor Juan. Uh, but then secondly, we, we share uh, a name as churches that's drawn from the same passage of scripture, from the end of the Bible, Revelation. Uh, holy city, new city, we're all talking about uh, where we're headed as the people of God to live together with Jesus in a city where there is no light because the glory of Jesus is the light of that city. Amen. And just as we're here today, we will be there together uh, when the new city descends and Jesus is shown to be king. So. Also, uh, I believe, are you Kano? Yep. Kana did both your logo and our logo. So, and, uh, I'm excited to be here today. Uh, I want to come at things from a little bit of a different angle. I mean, if you've been in church for any point of time, you've heard the story from Luke 2 about Jesus being born, about the journey to Bethlehem. Even if you've watched Charlie Brown's Christmas, you've heard it because they talk about Luke 2 and Charlie Brown's Christmas. But I want to kind of look at it from a specific angle in order to encourage you as we end this year and kind of think about next year as we think about Christmas and what it means to us. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about how the story of Jesus being born in Luke 2 relieves some of the pressure on you from being extraordinary. Relieves some of the pressure on you from being extraordinary. Because there's a lot of pressure for every person to be extraordinary. If you start looking at your social media account and then you kind of compare yourself to someone else, you're all like, how do I stack up? Is their life a little bit more superb and fantastic than mine? Or, or is mine a little bit worse? Am I just kind of normal? Am I a little too ordinary? Anybody feel that at times? Anybody feel that pressure? We're afraid to just be normal. 
We're afraid to be ordinary because there's so much pressure in our culture to do things with an extraordinary bent on. There's so much pressure in our culture to be fantastic and to kill your goals and to, and to just head everything off in life and to not be ordinary. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that he descends into the ordinary on our behalf. This pressure to be extraordinary is beginning to be identified by like cultural critics. There's a guy who writes in the New York Times named Joe Keenan, and he says, uh, we have this inability to accept the ordinary. Every experience must be a watershed moment. Every meal must be extraordinary. Every friendship, apocal. Every concert, superb. Every sunset, meta-celestial. Nothing can ever again be exactly what it was in the first place. Nothing can just be ordinary. Michael Horton, a theologian, comments on that quote from Joe Keenan and says, Today we feel this pressure to have our weddings look like the cover of a bridal magazine or a movie set. Our marriages have to be made in heaven, even though we're very much on earth. Our presentations at work have to dazzle. Our kids have to make the dean's list and go into the best schools. Everything can't be short of brilliant. Everything has to be groundbreaking. Everything has to be extraordinary. And we live in this pressure of this world where everything has to be extraordinary. You know, you take that selfie, right? And you just don't look as great as you thought you did, so you retake it, <laughs> and you retake it again. And this is normal, you're just a human being. You're just an ordinary person. If you feel that pressure, let the birth of Jesus bring you hope. Christmas is all about hope for ordinary people. Because Jesus, who is the extraordinary king of heaven, is born into the ordinary. Into an ordinary situation, surrounded by ordinary people in an ordinary time, in an ordinary place. We're going to sing Oh Holy Night uh, at the end here. But in one sense, when Jesus was born, it, wasn't, it didn't feel holy, it just felt ordinary. He came at an ordinary time. All those words that are hard to read about places and kings and rulers and Caesar Augustus and Quirinius and Syria, all that's about an ordinary time where there was an unjust government in power shuffling people around. That's pretty ordinary, right? It's nothing spectacular. It wasn't the perfect government. And, and the people involved are just ordinary people. Mary's just a peasant teenage girl who's betrothed to be married to Joseph. He's just a working class dude. They're ordinary people, and then they have to go on this journey that's not very glamorous. They have to go from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem. And if you were to walk that same journey, it'd be like going from Holy City Church at least to Homestead, if not to Key Largo. But it would at least be flat here in Florida, where they were traveling was mountains, up to Bethlehem. It's just kind of ordinary. There's nothing glamorous about it. There's nothing extraordinary. And even the town they were going to, Bethlehem, was just an ordinary mountain village. The most famous thing about Bethlehem was that King David had been born there centuries earlier, and that's kind of it. And when Jesus gets there, when he's born there, there's not even a hotel room for him. He's born into a room that only has three walls, and he's sharing it with animals. Not very extraordinary. It's just quite ordinary. It's quite ordinary. Jesus is born into the ordinary. I saw this article um, about Beyonce. 
and what Beyonce requires before she will enter into a contract with a stadium to do a concert. And before Queen B will sign up, <laughs> she has to make sure that the venue is world class, okay? And in terms of her dressing room, that all the walls of the dressing room have to be freshly painted white, okay? Uh, the people around her, all her crew, has to wear 100% cotton because she has some sort of allergy to anything else. The water that's in the dressing room has to be alkaline water, cooled to 21 degrees, and the straws have to be titanium made. In her dressing room, she has to have new toilet seats with red toilet paper. And after the concert, she likes hand-carved ice balls that she can suck on in order to soothe her throat. She requires that the dressing rooms be newly refurbished. Now, I'm, I'm not here to knock Beyonce, okay? Um, but it is interesting the stark contrast between her and Jesus. And you know that if you and I were celebrities, we would probably require the same thing, right? We'd want the red carpet to be rolled out for us. We want an extraordinary entrance. We want to be treated uh, as if we were extraordinary. And then when we come out on stage, the lights go off, they announce that you're there, then the lights go on, and there you are. And yet Jesus enters in such a different way into this world. Not in an extraordinary way at all, but a quite ordinary way. He, he doesn't require uh, that he enters into a world-class stadium. He just enters into a world that's been broken by sin. He doesn't enter into a world-class dressing room. He enters into a room full of animals. And into a world with ordinary sinners like you. But the amazing thing is that one night that Jesus entered in, it was quite ordinary until he entered in. And then all of a sudden it becomes extraordinary. It becomes timeless. There's nothing else like it. It becomes a holy night because the eternal Son of God enters into this broken world as it really is to save it, to love on it, to die for sinners like you and me. Jesus the extraordinary one comes to save ordinary sinners like you and like me. R.C. Sproul, who passed away this week, I have a quote from him, I wanted to honor him. He says, what we celebrate at Christmas is not so much the birth of a baby, but the incarnation of God himself. God came near into the darkness. The extraordinary king of heaven came into the ordinary, and much like a light when revealed in darkness lights up the whole room, Jesus, in his extraordinariness, lights up the ordinary. That's why we sing, O Holy Night, O Holy Night, it says, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and air pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The night becomes extraordinary when Jesus shows up in the ordinary. It becomes a holy night, a night that's set apart from any other night in history, past, present, or future. It's the revealing of the Son of God into an ordinary world. And that should encourage you and I, because as ordinary people, we're invited into that story. As ordinary people, we're invited 
and in the story of an extraordinary Savior. Who do the angels appear to after Jesus is born? Shepherds. Now, we try to portray shepherds as like these kind of, uh, what's the right word? They're clean, and they're like cuddling with sheep, and they look like these nice guys, but that's not the reputation that shepherds had at this time. They were dirty, they were smelly, they were known to be thieves, and their testimony was not trusted in court. These were the outcasts of society. They were just above, uh, they were just above lepers, lepers, not lepers, lepers in the social in the social system. And yet that's who Jesus, or that's who the angels announce this extraordinary message to. The angel says to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. It's not about how ordinary these shepherds is. It's about how extraordinary Jesus is. The Savior, Christ the Lord, the one who has been anointed. He's the one who is going to restore people to God. He is the king who's going to die, the one who has all authority but yet sacrifices his life to reconcile sinners to God, the one who is God in the flesh. And therefore, it's not about you or I, how ordinary we are. It's about the extraordinary Savior. The angels begin to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Rather than coming and telling people how ordinary they are, the angels sing about how the peace and favor of God have come in the person of Jesus. But rather than pushing ordinary people away, it draws them in. It draws them in to the extraordinary coming of God. And that's often why the world can't see Jesus. They can't see who he is. Because God comes in the grit of life, not in the glam. People are looking for God to roll out red carpets. They're looking for things that are going to increase popularity. And yet Jesus comes in the midst of just regular, ordinary life. Ordinary lives. You see, the hope of Christmas for you and I isn't that ordinary people meet Jesus and become extraordinary people. The hope of Christmas isn't that we meet Jesus and become extraordinary people. Rather, the hope of Christmas is that the extraordinary one comes and meets ordinary sinners like you and like me. As Juan and Stephanie come back up, I want to finish out here. What do you do with that? What do you do with the fact that you're an ordinary person but you have an extraordinary Savior? What do the shepherds do? They're filled with excitement. They're filled with joy. They run and tell others. They praise God. We get to be part of this. We're just Shepherds, but we're part of this extraordinary message of Jesus. And that they still re remain shepherds. And you still remain you. You might remain pretty ordinary in 2018, but you have an extraordinary Savior who has come into this world to pay for your sins. God himself in the flesh has come to die for you. And therefore, it doesn't matter how ordinary you are, because you're caught up in the most extraordinary story of all time. Hope in Christmas is about the extraordinary one coming to save extraordinary sinners. And if you haven't been wrapped up in that story yet, I would encourage you today, turn to Jesus. 
turn away from your own path of life and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm an ordinary sinner. There's nothing special about me. I've broken God's law, and I need forgiveness. But you came to forgive. So I'm going to turn away from being king and queen of my own life and let you be king and king of my life in order that I might have forgiveness. What do you do with the extraordinary one coming to ordinary sinners? You receive it by faith. You make it your own. You make his love your own. And you let it change you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. You are truly magnificent. And we are just sheep who need a good shepherd. We need the king. We need the savior. We need the Messiah, the anointed one. And we're so thankful that our ordinariness, our, our sinfulness didn't keep you from coming, but rather you came near. And so we ask that you would with us today. You might excite us again that you came. And for those who don't know you, Lord, that even in this, they might sense you calling to them and they might place their faith in you. All God's people say. Amen. Amen.